Hey guys, welcome back to Dreams to Reality podcast, which is uh, going uh, through a little change right now. We're changing it over to the new tribe um, because of the other name being saturated and whatnot. But we appreciate you guys' patience. And today we're we're here with AJ Awad, a mayor candidate of Minneapolis. And we're also here with his uh, campaign manager, uh, Ottawa, who's uh, going to be uh, on the footage with us and talking a little bit about some of the things that we want to talk about concerning Minneapolis. So thank you for tuning in and welcome back. Uh, like I said, um, AJ, welcome, brother. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, alhamdulillah. I could appreciate that. How about you, Arwa? I'm doing good, alhamdulillah. That is really good to hear. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself, man. Tell me a little bit about your your early childhood and your be- your, your 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 beginning, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, my early childhood, I was uh, I came to the States as a refugee, like uh, most Somalis in my age bracket or even older, um, uh, originally landed in, in northern Virginia. Um, I was a transient, you know, diaspora uh, member. So I lived between here and uh, Virginia for most of my adolescence. Went to a little bit of high school here. Went to South High. Shout out to South. Uh, and then went to, um, from middle school, I went to Olsen High. Okay. Not Olsen. Olsen Middle School, sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's they're all so similar in, in, in names as far as schools go. Yeah, yeah. But that's amazing, man. Virginia. So was was uh that's 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 interesting to hear because most people came through San Francisco, you know, like the majority of Somali people that came to the States. Mm. That's why, you know, majority of people are from Diego and things of those sorts. But that's uh that's very interesting to hear. So uh when once when, when did you exactly move? And like completely migrate over here to to Minneapolis. It was late '96. '96, okay. And you've been here pretty much since. Yeah. Other than you know traveling and stuff like that. Um. Yep. So tell us, man, have you seen any changes as far as like what what are the major changes that that you have seen yourself in Minneapolis? Major changes in yeah, Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this city no. is an amazing city. I mean, uh, of course, we are. Our introduction to the city was a massive change. I mean, the East African community, I think, has uh, ultimately transformed the city. Yeah. Um, and really have shaped the city moving forward. Um, and I know in terms of development, the city is growing. It's still in a trajectory to grow. Um, there's a lot of potential for growth. Um, it's just about having, you know, really uncomfortable conversations to stay on the trajectory. Um excited for all the opportunities here I mean I, I see so much opportunities personally for myself I've, I've uh, I would say I centered myself uh, in the city and in the state um, I didn't have a traditional I would say access to the success path I mean yeah. public housing dropped out of high school I mean, most most of that is on my website but um, so yeah I mean I'm fortunate, I mean, to be in this city because of the opportunities and being able to obviously have school as an, uh, you know, outlet and obviously being able to have um, opportunities and a a safety net with community here, of course. Um, The entrepreneurial spirit for our community is high, I would say. Yeah, I was reading somewhere uh, a few years back that the African uh, business growth in Minneapolis since the East African community came here is like 36%. Is ninety five, ninety six, which is right around the time that you came. So uh, you might have been 
the biggest <laughs> contributor. <laughs> well, I wasn't here that early. I wasn't here in '96 in Minnesota. I was uh, in VA in that early stages, but okay. But yeah, Somalis at large did contribute, I think, significantly since then. Yeah, yeah, and I think they they still you know they still have you know uh, uh, so much more to do you know because of the growth that we're seeing in the city. Um, certainly, I think you know things will change even even more you know and like. Uh, for an individual like you to be running and, and you know, somebody who, who came from another country, uh, saw the opportunity here in this country, you know, uh, became a part of this country, you know, that's that, and for you to be able to be in the space that you're in right now and almost running, uh, actually running for candidate, uh, for mayor, all of Minneapolis, uh, congratulations to you on that, man. That's just, that Thank itself you. is an accomplishment. Uh, and once you do accomplish you know, that, that accomplishment is going to be amazing to see. Um, it, uh, no, I was going to say, even outside of him running for mayor, his portfolio on its own is amazing. Like, yeah, went to law school. Like, just like he said, high school dropout who's telling you today that he's a lawyer. Yeah. That in itself is an accomplishment. Yeah. And I think he can go, he can do bigger things for the city and amazing things. He's a dreamer and an achiever. That's what I think, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. And I see yeah. why you have her as a campaign manager now. <laughs> She's amazing, bro. Indeed, but indeed. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, this is exactly what the American dream is about. You know, if you ask me, the American dream is being able to come from anywhere and everywhere, right? And come to America, feel comfortable, grow up here, take a different path than most people, and then finally reach a point where you're able to chase the American dream, even though, you yeah, know, they, they say that, you know, they say that progress is never uh, a constant line. It usually, you know, it goes like that. So your, 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 your life embodies that. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I'm extremely proud of. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad once again to have you in here. Um, so let's get to the topic at hand, man. Minneapolis, you know yeah, what I mean? No, I'm, I'm, I'm a candidate, so let me get all the hard questions now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, <laughs> man. Certainly. Fire away. Man, I got so many for you. You have no <laughs> idea. But I'll definitely, we'll definitely touch on, you know, some of the more important things, you know, as far as, you know, policing and what's going on in Minneapolis. Um, uh, just to mention a little bit of statistics, um, the early reporting from uh, Minneapolis police as of right now, uh, is saying 21% increase in uh, in in uh, uh, violent crimes in Minneapolis, and uh, those violent crimes or violent incidents include homicides, rape, robberies, aggravated assaults, uh, and this is according to the uh, preliminary year-end report by Minneapolis Police. Um, so that's something that I really wanted to touch on right away. Um, that growth that we saw of, of violent incidents last year in, in, in Minneapolis yeah. when, you know, COVID was taking place as well as, you know, the police protests yeah. due to the, uh, the brutal, brutal, brutal killing of, uh, of George Floyd uh, on, on 38th in Chicago, which is somewhere that's extremely familiar to us because we grew up in this uh, area here in Minneapolis. So touch on that a little bit. Just touch on, uh, 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 first touch on maybe George Floyd and then, touch on the other things that, you know, as far as the 21% growth and where you think that comes from? Yeah, I mean, those are all very important questions. And, and um, for me, you know, obviously forever rest in power to the Floyd, George Floyd and his family. Um, but for me, it's honestly that, that, that murder, right, the egregious nature of it, uh, up to that point, I think I, I – uh, 
was under the impression that we had actually got dignity. Um, of course, I had my own personal structure, uh, struggles with law enforcement. I mean, we know how egotistic they could be sometimes, and obviously uh, they're human. I mean, power like that does, uh, I would say, coerce people. But um, w- really, when you look at the crime, I mean, the crime is high because there's not enough cops on the ground, right? Yeah. Um, and I think there was just a, a study that was released um, in 2020 about just that, how when we're talking about very you know, violent crimes, felonies, burglaries, rapes, you know, robberies, assaults, murders. Um, those crimes, the best thing you can do to deter it uh, is to have a lot of officers uh, patrolling um, and obviously being in presence, right? Um, yeah. And the reason why we don't have that in the city of Minneapolis because we have a complete bankrupt and failed leadership. I mean... There is no hope for transformation when the head of the organization itself, if we put this in business context, the CEO um, allows the warehouse to be burnt down. Yeah. Um, we don't really instill, I would say, a spirit of you know hope, um, and you know I would say inspiration to do the work, uh, and stick around for the city, um, and. That's what the city of Minneapolis honestly needs, right? Is to be able to, this both and that Jacob Fry continuously talks about, uh, to be able to have that be actually lived, uh, embodied by the next mayor and has the capacity to do so. So, um, I mean, what we need to do is we need to start hiring more officers, but we need to be hiring good officers uh, that will allow us to change the culture of MPD. I mean, it's actually a blessing and a curse at the same time. Right. Yeah. The blessing is we have such high levels of attrition that we have low numbers of officers on the staff, meaning we have a lot of people to replace. That's going to do a lot in terms of the culture of MPD. Right. And for the next mayor, uh, they would be wise to capitalize on that unique opportunity. And that's for me, the landscape. Right. Okay. And uh, yeah. And uh, thank you for breaking that down. Uh, Definitely, you know, makes a little bit more sense hearing it from somebody like yourself where the city stands and where this, you know, how this violence is being played out. I just want to go ahead and mention uh, as far as the 21 percentage difference that we saw. Um, So uh, on average, the city has averaged uh, 4,496 crimes over the uh, past five years um, before 2020. And uh, the increase that we saw in uh, 2020 brought that up to, 5,422 uh, violent incidents in Minneapolis. And, um, you know, as some pe- as people that live in the city and that work in the city, um, we can feel the difference oh, yeah. since, since COVID and since yeah. the George Floyd protests. Yeah. The city has been completely different. You know, I, f- I, I, you know, I feel as though, you know, we, like y- what you were just mentioning, I feel as though we don't have enough police. And not only we don't have enough police, but we're, we don't have enough police that are adequately trained and that understand the law. You know, it takes a lot to understand the law, not just, you know, uh, um, you know, police people, but actually understanding the law and police policing them based on that law. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's something that, you know, um, that's something that I definitely think you can, you know, uh, a concern that you can address uh 
all communities in, in Minneapolis need that concern to be addressed. And Ottawa, can you go ahead and mention a little bit where, uh, what you see as far as in, 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 in uh, uh, what's it called, AJ, as far as some of the things that he has been doing so far that, that will, you know, consequently change the community to be better or change Minneapolis to be better. How touch on a little bit of that? I mean, he's been doing a lot, but okay. I think it's mostly he's been doing a lot of community engagement, like, okay. you know, having conversation, the tough conversations and actually working, going door to door, having conversations with the community, holding community events. Yeah. And the other thing is you will notice that there's a lot of discriminatory happening against the you know minorities and where the poor people live in, and we've been doing a lot of engagement in those areas where in fact they would be like we have no one reaching out to us as far as mayoral candidates and other people, and we have been doing that. But we're also been reaching across the aisle because we all need to come together in order to make Minneapolis better. So it's not just the minorities; it's every community needs to come together to make Minneapolis better. It's already a great city, but make it better and it's about bringing everyone to the conversation and that's what he understands it doesn't matter what area you live in it doesn't matter your income level it doesn't matter all of that we all have invested interest to get the city to a better place and that's what he's been doing and uh definitely that, that's exactly why i asked you because you know you're on the ground with him you know what i mean yeah. he's he is the candidate but sometimes it's the people that work for you that, that kind of embody what you stand for. Definitely. And, you know, talking Definitely. to Ottawa right now, I can feel the energy, you know, <laughs> oozing out of her as far as, you know, some of the things that she sees you doing, man. So go ahead and also mention it yourself, some of the things that you're doing and that yeah, you no, are willing to do. Yeah, no, I was actually going to just get back to, you know, because there was a point in, in, in the comment you made about um, the last, you know, four or five years, the, the statistic yeah. that you cited. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's honestly under... You know the, I would say, the, the environment and context of Jacob Fry promising everybody in the city of Minneapolis in 2017, just four years ago, that he would ultimately solve this issue of policing, right? Solve the issue of, I would say, white supremacy and racism in policing, right? And he didn't do that. And to the contrary, right, we have this kickback, right, where we're actually going backwards, not forward, right? Yes. Um, and, and, and I say this because, honestly, that's also one of the motivating factors for me running because we cannot allow, you know, politicians, specifically individuals that are just seeking redemption when they could not deliver on their promise, right? And I think it's the, the, the biggest miscalculation on our part. Um, and for any voter taking Jacob Fry seriously uh, in fear of other candidates, I would say is, is really not probably thinking with um, with the best interest of the city at heart. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Um, yeah, definitely those numbers, you know, speak volumes uh, as far as what Jacob Fry has been able to do. I mean, 4,496 uh, violent crimes on average over the past uh, uh, five years yeah. previous to uh, 2020. That's that's a lot. And, you know, uh, like I was saying, like us people are, uh, you know, the people on the ground like ourselves, you know, we can see, yeah. you know, we can see the violence in this community. You know, uh, just recently there was in this year, just recently there was a girl that got run over while she was riding her scooter at like two in the morning. 
uh, and people were shooting guns at each other back and forth. And she was just an innocent bystander. And so those are the, some of the things that, you know, when we hear, uh, they're extremely tragic. You know, we have, I have family here in Minneapolis. I have, you know, relatives. I have elderly that live in Minneapolis. I want them to be safe. Yeah. I live in Richfield. You know, it's a little bit safer than uh, Minneapolis. And, you know, if we can get, you know, every city can get as safe as possible in comparison to the other cities, then, you know, I think we can really improve, you know, we can compete with those suburban cities yeah. as the inner city uh, th that we are. I was going to say, that's why it's no-brainer to elect AJ, only simply because he understands, like, how can Jacob Fry do anything for us when he doesn't understand how the poor minorities, the people that are mostly affected by these gun violence, robberies, all these crime rates, they're happening on one side of the city, not all over the city. They're happening That's on true. the minority and the people of color side of the city where they live and the poor. And for people who lived in low incomes and Section 8s and things like that, we understand what's really going on and how these people feel. He grew up in that world. So why not elect someone who's competent, who can lead, who not only understands it but lived through those experiences to bring a change? Yes. Uh, speak to... a. Uh, us a little bit about that and you know understanding what the city needs as somebody who, who grew up in it you know what i mean like yeah. what what do you see the city needing uh w being the most important to the city right now it, well it needs honesty and it needs to come together right i think the city more than anything so just to share my view on how we're going to get through this public safety crisis uh and also transform policing at the same time i believe that the community has to come together. I mean, I think my proposal is to have a citizen assembly, you know, deputizing and, and actually getting a very diverse representative pool of the city, but oversampling and I would say making sure to emphasize the voices of communities of color, specifically BIPOC, specifically the black community, uh, and really deeply, right, observing what's next, how do we start to validate this new system, how many stake where, where can we build and bring everybody in the city as stakeholders, but very much so the BIPOC community, uh, and then from there move forward on the process of having a charter amendment. Uh, that's the only way. There is no other fix to this situation. It really deserves communities of color validating the system. Uh, you know, and A.J. Awet is running for mayor, of course, but as a black man, I don't need to win this election to validate my leadership skills, right? Um, I'm pretty happy with who I am. I, I offer really this moment because I see that we have a unique opportunity to transform and actually, you know, get through it and have these tough conversations and have communities of color lead and have them validate the system and have a stake in the system and own it because they actually made that system is the only way forward for a diverse and a very growing, rapidly growing city like this and country at large to really survive what is an you know, outdated, antique relic of white supremacy, which really is the founding of this nation. And that's really where I come in with a different perspective on the policy solutions. Of course, we're going to have to transform some of the policy initiatives. We're going to get you know, unarmed officers into the police force for nonviolent crime and responses. I mean, all these things are true, right? But I don't hear any other candidate besides our campaign 
really trying to educate the public and do right by them and warn them of the thing that matters, which is building trust for communities of color, which means honestly having them lead in this issue and validate whatever policing model comes forward. So if elected, AJ, <coughs> um, if elected, are you looking to defund the police? No, I'm looking to rapidly expand the budget of the, uh, what I would hope to be called the new Department of Public Safety after we get a second bite at the apple. I, I do say that I do not support the current charter amendment. Uh, it is reckless. I don't think it actually, you know, gets the job done in terms of what the aim is for communities of color in terms of dignity and respect. Um, and I think it's also, I would say, responsible. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. And you're so forthcoming about uh, exactly what you want to do with the police. You know, I'm somebody who actually lost a friend to uh, police brutality. I had a friend of mine. Uh, who was only the age of 23 years old, uh, brutally killed in Egan, uh, Minneapolis, which Egan, Minnesota, yeah. uh, which is not that far from the cities, as you know. Um, so I have a vested interest in seeing change both come to Minneapolis and come to greater uh, uh, Minnesota. So when I was hearing, you know, last year, I, I saw people uh, talking about abolish the police, you know, and, you know, for us people that actually understand what's going on, we know that we don't want to abolish the police. What we want to do is we want reform. We want the police to be able to take responsibility for their actions, and we want reform within the police as far as educating the police on the law, right? And because we do have a law in this country, and you know sometimes I see police officers um, going with their ego rather than what the law says, right? So what we're looking to see is we want police better trained, more educated, right? And we want, we want to see them from the community in which they serve. Because majority of the time, the issue that we face is we have individuals who do not even, who, who don't even visit Minneapolis if they're not on the clock working in Minneapolis as police officers. Yeah. Individuals from greater Minnesota. And I'm not saying there's any issues with greater Minnesota. But if you do, if you do not reflect the people that you see on a daily basis, how can you really police people yeah. uh, in a situation like that? You're... You, I, you know, in a way, they're so afraid of us. You know, you see police officer, they're extremely afraid of you. You yeah. know what I mean? And that shouldn't be the case. If we have people from the city policing the city, I feel as though things will be better, right? Yeah. So please touch a little bit on, you know, uh, the police and, you know, their th where their, uh, you know, their upbringings, maybe, you know. Yeah, so, so I mean, so that's, that's a very complicated issue. I mean. So we have a layered system of government here in the country. I mean, we have the federal government, the state government, and the municipal, local governments. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to this issue, though most people think that the police union doesn't have much sway or power here in the city of Minneapolis, which for all intended purposes, I think is fair and accurate, you know, um, but they have tremendous power and influence on the state level. And the reality is when it comes to these Certain issues like, for example, mandating officers be residents of Minneapolis, um, the state preempts us from doing that type of mandate. Okay. Um, so, you know, what we also need to think about is in electing the next mayor of Minneapolis, who's going to be the best suited as an advocate on the state level to make sure we're also getting fair treatment on the at the state capitol, right? And uh, out of all the candidates that are running, I think actually... I probably am the number one pick for people on that regard, too. I think I could, um, I, not I could, I know I will be making strong arguments. I think I have uh, the skills, uh, I would say the temperament and personality to really make good relationships 
um, but more importantly, I think really drive home, right, uh, to allies and partners on the state level and even, you know, some of the Republican, you know, uh, Senate to really, you know, do right by the state. I, I'm advocating for a luxury tax on um, luxury apartments, right? And that, again, there's a state preemption that prevents me from doing that currently if I was fortunate to be mayor. But those type of things have to be on the agenda for the next mayor of Minneapolis. We can't really just have a, a mayor that's just looking to do the job that's just written in their, you know, I would yeah. say job. Nine to five. Yeah, that Treated job description, like nine, yeah. right? I think we need the next mayor to really do the work that probably isn't part of his job description, really getting into the community, really building those, you know, good relationships, I would say deep networks, uh, making sure to go above and beyond, you know what I mean, in terms of advocacy in, at the state level, right? Building relationships outside of your purview in that regard. I mean, and... And really championing people and working people uh, of color specifically. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the state, the next mayor is going to have to do a lot with the state. Uh, they're going to have to do a lot of work with the, the state legislature and the governor. So um, the next mayor, I think, has to be in a position to understand that. Yeah, and I, I definitely, you know, that, that part that you just mentioned of how important it is for, you know, the, the, the mayor to go above and beyond in this job because this is not a job of, you know, a regular job. This is a job of community, you know, public outreach, you know, things of those sorts. You, you have to be a candidate that, that, sees, that, that sees and wants the best for everybody, yep. right, within Minneapolis, within greater Minnesota. So for you to be able to uh, take it, you know, above Minneapolis – and take it to the state level, right, to make the changes that are necessary. And to have that vision is very important, right? And that's the per that's literally the characteristics of the next mayor that we're looking for as Minneapolis residents, as people from Minneapolis, as people that grew up in Minneapolis. Yeah. We deserve that, you know? We deserve we that definitely safety, deserve you know? That. We definitely deserve yeah, that. Yeah, so um, the Jacob Fry, as far as the... Uh, I saw one of the incidents that happened with Jacob Fry where, you know, the community came out and they told him, are you going to abolish the, 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 you know, that question? Are you going to abolish yeah. the police? And I, I don't even know where that comes from. First of all, let me address that question in general. Where you, uh, like, pretty much the idea of abolishing the police. I don't even think that, you know, at the BLM level, that's what they were advocating for. What they were, what we have been advocating for, for as far as people that have been Im impacted by police violence and police brutality, is that we want reform, reform. We want better policing. We want our cities to be better. That's what we we were uh, looking for, not to abolish the police. Not well, yeah, I mean, at all. I would probably even go deeper. I mean, I think we were fundamentally looking for dignity, right? Yeah. I think that's 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 what's evident for me is yeah. that we still lack dignity in modern day America. Yeah. Um, and to me, what the abolish movement? I said abolish the police last year. Yeah. Right? I mean, and to me, abolish the police is abolish racism. Right. Yeah. To be so literal, right, with a term that I think, um, you know, emerged from very deep convictions where they saw the modern day lynching of another human being. Right. They had emotional connection to it, especially for communities of color. I think enlisted them to really be, you know, I would I would say not just emotional, but rightfully, I would say angry. Right. And I, I think we all have a right to abolish that type of you know, 
scenario where some other human being could really actually look past another human being to the point where they could have their knee on them for nine minutes as they're begging and praying for yeah. their lives, calling for their mothers. I mean, that is is separate from policing, right? That's separate than crime. That's separate from being, you know, a criminal, right? Yeah. That means you're not human, and that's right? Inhumane, that's and I think when we say abolish, well, I, I mean abolish racism. Yeah. You know I mean, I don't think there is no room for that in, in modern society. Post-modernity, no. Yeah. And I think rightfully so that language under that context is appropriate, right? Yes. Um, I think it becomes, I think we were a little too emotional, you yeah. know, on the, on the left, you know, when it comes to the words we chose as the movement. But overall, that, that turned into being something that it's not, right? I think it got co-opted by certain people that I think are allies for most uh, issues. Uh, but on this one are p p total polar opposites from communities of color, right? Um, as Ottawa said, I mean, we are not looking to get rid of cops or the legitimacy of them in our city, right? What we're looking for is just dignity. And the fact that, you know, it's unfortunate that this type of amendment, which says if necessary, which may lead to not having adequate police force, meaning under 700, you know, what the current minimum is, right, um, is going to fall on the shoulders of black and brown communities, right? Yes. And our friends on the side of yes for Minneapolis, right, just cannot get it in their heads that they are actually damaging and destroying the same communities that they're actually wanting to be allies for just because they say this is the only opportunity. We have to start the conversation. Well, if you start the conversation the wrong way, Nine out of ten times, it ends the wrong way, right? Yes, sir. So, I mean, and, and for me, I think um, we have to be nuanced, right? I think one of the disservices for BIPOC communities is in our leadership, we can't, you know, you know, I would say publicly demonstrate this nuance, especially when it comes to politics. Yeah. You know, I should be able to say, yes, I mean abolish racism when I meant abolish the police. And... I also mean I don't want to get rid of police. Yeah. Right. So it had a different. It it de it, it definitely had a different uh, uh, meaning for our community mm -hmm. than it did because I saw the pushback by you know Fox and and, and you know the you know the media. It, it, they made it seem as though we were saying get rid of police altogether. What we're looking for, like I said several times, is reform and dignity, which is the word that you keep using, and I think it's such a great word to to pretty much encompass everything that has happened with the George Floyd incident yep. and every other black incident. I mean, let's go back to Rodney Kingman, right? Yeah, Rodney, Rodney King, Yeah, actually. Rodney King. Yeah, 1994, uh, LA Times, the man was beaten halfway to death, right? Yep. He almost died from the beating that he received from those six or seven officers. I forget how many it was. And we're facing the same issue in 2021. You don't think that we need reform within the police? You right. are crazy, you know? Yeah. You have to be crazy if you don't but think we need reform uh, yeah. at this point when, when it has been such a... Because I was born at the end of 94. Like, December 27th of yeah. 94 is what I was born. And we're facing the same issue yeah. in 2021. It's funny, right? In it's, 2020. It's, it's, it's actually shameful because it's not funny, right? It's, it's, actually, it's actually disappointing and frustrating 
and I would say for a whole generation of black and brown communities, but black men that are millennials, uh, I think why the city erupted into flames is because we don't have that tolerance level, right? We don't, we don't. I mean, I, I think we are a lot more um, assertive in our posture, right, it, with white America, right, and systematic, uh, I would say, institutions, uh, that we're not going to just go by it, right? And honestly, it's, 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 I would say, very optimistic to see, right, that our generation and just, you know, young folks, period, understand that we're not going to tolerate things like this, right? And we're not going to continue to make excuses for it. Um, but just going back a little bit, I mean, you know, this abolish the police thing, you know, unfortunately, and it's a sad thing to say as someone who is a democratic socialist, um, some of our friends that are on the far left with us, some of them actually do believe that, right? That's, yeah. that's the thing about Fox, right? They didn't make a lie up, right? They didn't lie and say people on the left or progressives want to abolish the police. Yeah. When it's not the case. No, no, no. We never meant it that way. But there are people within our f within our side, on our aisle, right? Our demographic. Progressives that are on the very, very far end of the spectrum, right? As a democratic socialist, I'm still on the very far spectrum of the progressive, you know. But they're movement. a little further than <laughs> you, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they, 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 would, they would probably call themselves outright Bolsheviks, right? Yeah. I mean... That's not the place I want to be. Yeah, not at I all. Mean, not at all. I think I think what's dangerous about that is usually that person that is that radical, uh, that has no reflection or I would say awareness of their consequence, the consequences of that type of radical militant view on life and systems, um, they're white. They're not directly impacted by the you know collateral. I would say damage. Once you start actually seeing that on the ground, right? And, yeah, and they don't understand it also. Like, like when you're black and you're that radical, you could lose your life. Yes. Right? Yes. When you're white and you're that radical, the ACLU will send you a lawyer to bail you out of jail. Yeah, and that makes, man, that, that for you to say that is so important because I was just recently uh, reading uh, on, uh, in, in Egan, you know, the Egan News Journal, there was a 12 hour standoff. Uh, a stand, you know, a standstill between the police and a gentleman that was white. Twelve hours. Yeah, they killed my friend within four hours, mm -hmm. and he was, he was, he was talking to the police. He was cooperating with the police. Everything that he was doing in his demeanor mm -hmm. was uh, with the police. But what they did was the idea that they got is like the command, the, especially you know the, the the sergeant of the Egan Police of, uh, Department over there in Egan. Uh, he got this idea where he said, "Oh." Let's throw flash grenades at somebody that we're talking to. Yeah. And then when he speaks up, when he gets up, hopefully he will get up and run away and then we'll, we'll grab him. That does not work. You know, that in, it, in, in essence, what they were looking to do is they were looking to make him afraid. And then as soon as he got up, they, they shot him up. And that, that is just not okay. And, you know, that's, you know, similar all across the board. We saw that right over in Wisconsin. You know, all these things that we're seeing in the country have a greater impact on the country as a whole. A hundred percent. I mean, and to that point, I mean, and that's just because when I when you go back to this dignity, dignity thing that I'm pushing as my message, right, is 
that's the reality. As black men, right, in the, in the streets of America, right, you are not seen the same way through the lens of law enforcement, right? And that does not change because, you know, you bring in reforms, per se, right? Yeah. That only changes when you own the policing system. You own it. Yeah. You built it. It's yours. Yeah. You know you can trust it because you made it, right? Obviously, there's, you know, some people will go, you know, to the left and be like, how about if it turns into Frankenstein? I mean, we already have Frankenstein, <laughs> right? They were calling Minneapolis Gotham last year when, <laughs> when, when, when the yeah. riots were taking place, right? I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, and this, this is my message to, obviously, the people of Minneapolis, but specifically the BIPOC community, right? This election should not be outsourced. You should not outsource this responsibility to transform the system, right? You should not do that. You should really own it because then even at the minimum, right, you would be in a better position to do something, right? But standing on the outside praying and hoping, right, that the current status quo, the traditional mold of leadership, let's just right out say it, another white mayor is going to get it done is just, I would say, almost insanity. We've been doing this for hundreds of years, right? And now we're at a point where, you know, from a, from a demographic standpoint, right, minority and BIPOC community are actually quite significant imprints in cities and states and the country at large, right? So now this, this tension between the white system and the ever-growing diverse country and cities is starting to be problematic. And it's starting to show. And it's starting to show. It is starting to show. And, and, and for me, what I'm optimistic about and why I'm raising my hand in this election is because I want to I contribute to that, right? These are growing pains, right? These are, these are moments of trans transformation, right, where we really could usher in a better city, a better country, right, that does live up to its ideals, right? But, you know, thinking that, you know, the same, you know, I would say interest groups, right? Because from a systems perspective, right, systematically, the people in power are not just going to, you know, give it away, right? That's just never the case. And if there's going to be a transition, you have to demand for it. Yeah, and, and we live in a system where I think our democracy is mature enough where we could have that transformation and we could have, you know, I would say opportunities for communities of color to lead in moments just like this when there are extreme, I would say, strife between communities. Uh, we have this, you know, fragmentation and this fissure within our systems, whether it's the institution of policing or just our democratic system at large. It's irrelevant. I mean, we need to step up. And I think, I think white folks need to understand that this is not a threat to them, right? This is us saying we can help. We can help legitimize and usher in a system that works for us, that we believe in, and that works for you as well, that you believe in, right? Um, but, again, uh, I just don't think the same thing that we've been trying for decades is going to work. Uh, yeah, and I agree. You know, the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over and hoping 
that you know something will change. You know yeah. what I mean? So like, I wouldn't go that far. I yeah. would have. I probably would have got crucified. Yeah, but I, I, can, I, can, I can do that because you know I'm not a politician and I don't have to be <laughs> politically correct. But um, yeah, it. you touched on so many different important things, man. Um, I definitely think that you know Minneapolis, you embody what Minneapolis needs moving forward and what Minneapolis wants. And we're sick of and tired of the violence, whether it's in our community or, you know, the greater black community at large or the greater community of Minneapolis at large, because Minneapolis does encompass everybody. This state is, I'm pretty sure it's like 87% white, but the inner cities are not like that. And we want white people, especially our allies and non-allies to see that and to realize, hey, these people might be able to actually make change happen here in this area because they understand the city. They're from these communities that are overlooked by the majority 99% of the time. 100%. Yeah, and so some of those things that we definitely talked about today show that you have what it takes to uh, to lead Minneapolis for the next however many I years. I appreciate it. And, you know, I do want to mention that the police do fall underneath the mayor role. Even though right now yeah. city council is trying to change it and take it into many different directions, which we don't want, especially if you, AJ gets elected, we do not want the police being under any other uh, department. No, I think that's 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 an improper structure. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is, it also leads to issues when you have several leaders yep, trying the to 14 lead. Fourteen boss problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Trying to lead one department. Instead, what we need is a coherent person who's going to take care of. What we need done, right? So <laughs> I'm, uh, I appreciate you once again stepping in here, man. You know, like I was trying to schedule this with Arwa the entire time, and I'm glad that she brought you in here. Hopefully, we'll do another one. You yeah, know, hopefully after, post yeah, yeah. post the election when I'm the mayor of Minneapolis. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna <laughs> announce it here, guys. <laughs> we appreciate you coming in, bro. You have a wonderful night, and Arwa, thank you for bringing him in. We'll be uh, in touch together, all right? No, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me here, man. And, and if I can just leave with your vote, uh, your, your, your viewers, please do not sleep on this election. If you live in Minneapolis, do vote, and hopefully I can get your number one. If not, two or three works just as fine. Exactly. If you are out in the, especially if you are out in the protests and you do not show up to this, uh, uh, what's it called, this voting uh, done for the mayor position, which yeah. is going to be such an important position, like I said, the police fall underneath the mayor. Okay, yep. people, if you want change, please hit the polls. Vote for the right person. Actually, that's Especially the youth. Yeah, that's youth. actually to the point of the youth. Yeah. You know, I think you made a really good point. If you were out there in those protests, right, if you were actually committed and passionate, you should not be sleeping on November 2nd, right? That means you just do it for the performative part of of protesting, right? But you're not going to follow through on the substantive part of getting things done. And that means electing people and people that actually resonate with these issues and have the lived experiences to do something about them. So hopefully I can, you can trust me to be that person <laughs> uh, and hopefully um, make sure that you wake up. Please do. And I was going to say, if Asia is elected, he when, will inshallah, be, when, and when, when he's when. elected, he will be the first black male mayor. Of Minneapolis. The, of Minneapolis. Minneapolis in its history has never had a black mayor. Men. Man, I should say. Yep. Yeah. We've only had one black mayor. It was a female. She did a phenomenal job. She did. Yep. Contributed to many of the great things in Minneapolis. Let's continue the momentum. Great community relationship, by the way. Absolutely in great. In the city. 
Awesome. Thank you for mentioning that once again. Thank you guys for coming in once Thank again. You. you guys have a wonderful night. Yes, sir. And that 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 closes it out. Thank Boom. you. <laughs>